0: So, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the first episode of this new season of the Matchfit Podcast. I'm Darren Potts, your host, and you can find MatchFit Football online on Instagram at MatchFitFootball. And you can also find it online at the website matchfitconditioning.com. But enough about that. On to today's guest, I'm joined by Scottish International Leicester City's defender. It is Sophie Howard. Sophie, welcome to the show. Delighted to get you here. Thanks for
1: having me, Darren.
0: Well, delighted. Like I said, really, really happy to get you here. We were talking briefly just before we clicked record. You've just flown back from Hungary. You had a win last night, 2-0 win for the Scottish Ladies over there in Hungary. Before we get into the real meat of the conversation, tell me a little bit about what it's like being on international duty and obviously flying into Hungary, getting back. What was it like last night for you and getting the win?
1: No, I generally love coming on camp. Um, I always feel like it's on an honour when I get selected. Um we're a great bunch of girls here. So personally I always look forward to camp. Um, obviously we started the World Cup qualifying campaign um, with this camp and yesterday was our first game so I'm glad we could start with a win. Um, obviously it's only one game of many uh, for the qualifying campaign um, but we got got off to a good start um, under a new manager. Um, that's always very tricky. Uh, we came in on Monday and only had a couple of days to not only prepare, but get used to the new coaching staff. Um, that's not not easy, but in the end, we put a good performance on the pitch and we managed to get the win.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, you've started the campaign as you mean to go on. I assume, you know, 2-0, win. you have a lot of games to go, but obviously best way to start with a victory. Um, you have a really interesting story because you were born in Germany. You could have played for Germany you could have played for England but you've chosen to represent Scotland so let's roll it back take me back to the beginnings because you're a professional footballer right now you're playing with Leicester in the women's super league but where did it begin for Sophie hired you know was your goal always to go pro or was there a time in your life where maybe the penny dropped something clicked and it was like okay I'm taking this serious now and, and here we go
1: um, I started way back when I was only five years ago. Uh, sorry, five years old, um, because my older brother played, and I quite admired my older brother. So I wanted to do what what he does, or he always did. So um, I started playing football, and I quickly developed a passion and just a love for the game. And I think that's how it developed for me to kind of want more. Um, obviously, at the beginning, it was the fun, uh, my teammates, um, kicking the ball around. With my neighbors, uh, we always had uh, a couple of kids come on the street and kick the ball around. Um, but that just developed into kind of a commitment, a drive, um, trying to to go as far as I can. Um, that was when I was playing for local clubs, uh, local boys' teams, um, years, years, years ago. And then when I was 15, um, almost 16, that's when I made a big move away from home uh, to Hoffenheim, which was my first professional team um, that I signed for and um, that's I think when I realised I really really want to give it a go um, I never kind of put myself under pressure and said there's only one thing there's only being a professional footballer um, I always made sure I had something else um, I got two degree degrees um, that was important for me to kind of also focus on education as well um, but that move when I was 15 almost 16 and um, that's when Pretty much, you mentioned it, the penny dropped. But for me, it was more, I would really want to give it a try. And I will sacrifice living with my family, being close to my family for that, that next step, that kind of first step, uh, the first insight into professional football.
0: It's really interesting because you mentioned pressure in your response there and you mentioned sacrifice. And I want to couple those up with another word and it's doubt. Was there any, ever, any time or any point in your journey leading up to being a professional or going pro where you had a doubt that you were doing the right thing and if you did how would you how did you overcome that
1: um I think it was in doubt I think it was me struggling um from separating from my family kind of thing uh because I'm very very close to my family and um yeah I mentioned sacrifices but it was more investment into something I really wanted to do um I never had doubt that it was the right thing because I, I knew quite from the beginning that it was the right thing just because I was so passionate about, about football. Um, but I did struggle. But that was more knowing that I'm I'm missing out on, on family time um, selfishly because I wanted to be a professional footballer.
0: Missing out in the family time is obviously hard because you moved away when you were very young as well. You know, you moved away to another not not just like moving up the road or going to another town or another club, but another country. What was what was learning that culture like at the same time as obviously wanting to hit the ground running and to develop obviously your skills at the time in your footballing career? So the
1: first time I moved abroad was when I moved to America and I was 18, 18 years old. Um by that time I'd already lived away from home for three years. So I kind of had gotten used to not seeing the family as often. But then obviously it's a massive difference whether um yeah, it's I don't know, 150 kilometers away or if it's a different country, a different continent. Um, so that was the next big challenge, then not only not being able to see my family every day, but now it was once a year for Christmas, pretty much, um, unless one of my siblings came out to visit me in America. Um, so that was the next challenge. But again, I knew why I was doing it. <laughs> I think that that was the overall kind of motivator because I knew why I was sacrificing family time I knew I was moving abroad and I knew why I was following my dream so to speak um, for me adjusting to the American culture um, was easier I think than compared to other players say from Germany just because I could speak the language I think that's always the biggest struggle um, if you move to a country where you can't speak the language so for me in that sense it was an easy transition um, but obviously the American culture is very different to uh, say the European or the German culture where I, I grew up um, but I'd I'd like to think that I'm a very adaptable person and I think it's embracing the culture um, obviously staying true to yourself but embracing the culture and, and kind of going with the flow so to speak um, adapting adjusting and just yeah I, I know I've used the word embrace quite a bit in the last couple of sentences but I think that's how I live, just embracing every moment and embracing, embracing different challenges and um, different obstacles and also nice moments. I think that's how I've been living my life for the last 10, 20 years. Um,
0: <laughs> that, it's class. It's really good to hear that because, you know, I've, I've traveled quite a bit myself and I love hearing from maybe from a professional standpoint, an elite athlete standpoint, the different aspects of your journey. And you've mentioned America, you've mentioned Germany, and now you're playing in England. What differences are there? Obviously, culture is a massive difference. But in terms of the football, let's talk about the coaching, the style of play, the standard of play, the expectations. Do they differ per country, per club? And if so, what differences are there between the different variations and the different places that you've played in?
1: I think for me, the biggest reason why I wanted to move to England um, was because I I saw how the league was growing, how the investment was growing. And at that time, it was for me the right time to move. Um, When I was still playing in Germany and and the years years before in the German league, sorry, I think Germany was the dominant league. But now I'd I'd almost say the WSL is is the best league in Europe or definitely one of the best. you mentioned different coaching styles. I think every coach is different. Every manager is different. And I think you can have different coaches within one country. So therefore it's, it's difficult to, to make a comparison across countries. Um, but I do think that the football in England is more physical, more um, like quicker. I think more emphasis on the physical attributes and that's not only in games, that's in everyday life, that's in training. There's way more focus on hitting, hitting certain numbers in training, say, um, that I didn't have in Germany. That might be because the game's involved. Um, obviously, the science is always progressing, so that might be a factor. But for me, one of the biggest differences is the pace of the game, the, the physical attributes, but also um, how professional it is, how professional the league's set up. Um, when I was still playing in Germany, there were many teams that weren't fully professional, even though the mindset, mindset, the facilities maybe were professional. In, the pay wasn't. Some people still had jobs or I still went to uni at times. Um, whereas obviously in England now, uh, you have to be a full time, not a player, but a team. Uh, you have to provide a full time wage. And that is a big difference. And that is also why the league is so attractive and is growing and is probably overtaking other leagues at the moment.
0: It's incredible to hear that. And it's great to hear that, especially for the league that you're playing in. And we'll touch on, you know, Leicester City in a second. But you've mentioned the different styles and how England was a bit more physical. How did you adapt to that style? You know, whenever you came back from, say, Germany, which which wasn't as physical as England?
1: I think, fortunately, my style of play is quite physical anyways. So for me, it was not a massive transition. Um, I think also the background of my sports science degrees helped me to understand this transition and therefore potentially adapt quicker, adjust quicker. Um, I think potentially for players that, that are different, that are more solely technical or very tactically focused and maybe lack the physicality, they might struggle. Um, it will always take some time to get used to a different league, different, different style of play. Um, but fortunately for me, that transition didn't take long and I was kind of ready to go, like when I when I moved to England.
0: Good. It's really good to hear that. You know, you were able to get in, you got your feet on the grind pretty quick and you're able to get going. Um, you mentioned about the growth of the league and the professionalism that the league is is certainly showing and as it continues to push forward and it continues to grow, um, How has that journey been for you? Because you're obviously going through this journey as a professional footballer and you're seeing the league be professional and grow during your footballing journey from when you've started to now. What are the main differences that maybe you've come across in your journey?
1: I think if you look at the numbers of girls playing now, that is one of the main factors where we see the game growing. Um, And now we're not only talking about like the elite level we were talking about grassroots um I remember when I was playing there was no boys team for the the first couple of years sorry no girls team for the first couple of years I played with boys um so that's one factor but obviously there's um a lot of investment um there's now um the situations that a lot of the female teams can can train at the men's facilities um fortunately we've got our own facility but we'll speak about that later. Um, but that wasn't the case a couple of years ago and I think that's massive statements um, and and that's where you can see the, girl, the, the games growing. Obviously the number of spectators also helps and also kind of defines that growth. Um, media coverage, um, actually overall acceptance within society, um, that's what we've been fighting for and are still fighting um, for at the moment. Um, that we are more accepted, but those are all factors where you can see the growth.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think as well, when, whenever you turn on Sky Sports News and things like that, and you see the women's game covered a lot more, when you see breaking news and headlines being made, and the right and the correct media coverage being given, you know, to a game, and you're beginning to see it grow and develop. I think that's so key, you know, for the growth of the league and um, even players to become more well known. And, and better equipped maybe um, to deal with the media and things like that. It's so key for the growth. And when, when we touch on the growth, you know, let's also touch on, on the clubs as well, because the clubs are doing their bit to try and push forward the women's game. And it, I think it would be a bit unfair if we didn't talk about your current club, Leicester City, and everything that's going on there and that new training facility that's opened and everything that Leicester's doing. You've recently made the move to Leicester and how have you found that move? And tell me what it's like being a professional player for Leicester City.
1: I think the special thing about Leicester City is that we do truly have that one club mentality. Um, A lot of clubs talk about it, but I think at Leicester you not only feel it, you live by it um and that is because we are valued accepted and supported by I say the men's department because there's no men's side side and women's side at Leicester so we're one um for me the move to Leicester was because I wanted to fall back in love with the game that I'd lost a little bit um and I can only say that it was the right decision to move to Leicester um I very much feel valued by the club and um That's, I think, the environment that you create. Um, By feeling valued and wanting to be part of something big, that's when you perform your best. And uh, fortunately, it all worked out.
0: Yeah, it really has. And the way you're talking about Leicester and how it's the one club mentality and the mantra that goes around the club, it's phenomenal to hear that. Tell me a little bit about training because I want to talk about team training, then I want to talk about your individual training focus. What is training like? Give me an example of the breakdown of the day of a standard day for Sophie hired on a training day.
1: <laughs> a typical day is that um, there's optional breakfast in the morning. Um, usually I have my breakfast at home, but I could go into the training ground and have breakfast there. But the first thing we we have to attend is a meeting at half eight. So our day starts quite early. Um, originally, that was changed to earlier times uh, when we had the heat wave in, in England. Um, but we just stuck to it because we felt like we were actually training better, training harder. And we felt like we had more time to recover afterwards. Um, So we start at half half eight. By nine, quarter past nine, we're in for um, activation in the gym. And by 9.45, 10, we're out on the pitch. Um, We have a normal team session set up, I'd say. So a typical warm up leading into, into the session a passenger or unit work into obviously the bigger parts of the session where the team comes back together um, so we train for I'd say one and a half sometimes it's two hours it obviously varies um, based on the content um, and then we go in have a little snack and then it's gym I'll say at one o'clock roughly um, for 45 minutes an hour sometimes it uh, depends how much time you, you take in between sets <laughs> and then after that it's lunch and, and recovery so we have ice bath um heat heat bath uh, kind of hot tub tubby things um there's time for treatment so we either you either go lunch first and then take your time for recovery or you do it the other way around whatever you feel like um but I feel like because we start earlier and therefore kind of finish earlier everyone takes the time to actually recover. Um, obviously you probably probably know how important that meal after the session is. Um, so now people are actually by the club providing good nutrition, kind of good food. We're now also focused on the uh, recovery in, in that sense. So the whole day is structured around obviously performing really well in training, um, but then how can we quickly recover to then come back the next day and do the same thing again, and then the same thing again the next day. um So that's a typical kind of longer day for us. We're home at roughly three, four, um, and then you have the rest of the evening to yourself.
0: It's not easy, is it? You know, I think sometimes you see, and I'll even say the way I describe it, with the lights on, you know, people see the footballers with the lights on and on the pitch, and that's really it. They don't see when the lights off behind the scenes of the day in, day out, the grind, so to speak. Um, and those hard training sessions or especially those pre-season training sessions <laughs> and the heat and the running and everything that goes alongside that tell me a little bit about the philosophy of Leicester City as a, as, as a team and the club that you're currently playing for Um, for example when you go into training would you be working on something that maybe the coach noticed from the match the weekend prior or is there very much a way this is the way we want to do things so we structure our play and our training and we tailor it to the style of play that we want to play
1: I think we always analyse the next opposition. Um, we analyse what they do well and maybe areas where we can exploit them. So training will be tailored to the analysis um, that we've done. But a big thing for us at this is that we focus on our own game. Um, I think if we focus on what we are best, um, then people are, or we're very difficult to beat, I'd say. Um, we live by hard work, aggressive press, um, the grind, um, the dirty work, that's what we live by, um, potentially compared to other big names um, in terms of clubs. We don't have them big players, um, but we are very much together and we know that we have to give 100% every single session to then be at 100% for the games to then be everyone, basically. Um, we always go into the games that we want to win. We don't ever play for one point or not conceding uh, we go for the win and I think that starts from when we come in on a Monday or a Tuesday depending whether you've played or not and from Tuesday morning we know who we're playing and the hard work starts.
0: start how, how important is that you say you know you mentioned no egos there you mentioned everyone buying in and everyone working hard how important is, every, is everyone every member of that squad because football is a squad game how important is everyone buying into that same ethos and ethic?
1: Oh, it's massive, um, especially, especially the way we want to play at Leicester. Uh, we need a full squad to um, be successful. There's obviously different competitions that we're competing in. It's the league, it's the FA Cup that was to win, it's the Conti Cup. Um, so we need the whole squad. I think that's a role of the manager, and that's a difficult role of a manager to keep, keep everyone on board because you can only put 11 players on the pitch. Um, And sometimes there's players that don't play for several games. Maybe they're having a downer or maybe they're just, we're we're trying to to implement a different um, game plan where maybe their style of play doesn't suit this game plan. Um, But this is the role of the manager to keep everyone on board. And that happens when you make everyone feel part of it and feel valued. Um, I think often in football, everyone speaks about how the subs have to be supportive and how the players not in the squad um, have to still be on board. But I think actually it's for me personally, it's a starting 11 and the players that play more potentially that need to make sure that the subs still feel part of it, that players that don't play as much still feel valued, that there's no um, division between players that play more and maybe players that play less. Um, That's a role, I think, in my my eyes, is of the players that play more. Um, But it's a character thing. It's something I've learned over the years that, of course, if you don't play, you're disappointed. But in the end, it's a team that that you're there for. It's the, the team needs to win. And then you have to kind of put your disappointment aside and be there for the team. And I think we've managed that so far at Leicester. Obviously, we've only had a couple of games. Um, but that's something we built throughout pre-season. Um, we had a tough, tough pre-season. Um, but we all knew from day one we had to had to work together and had to all be on board to not only start the season off right, which unfortunately you haven't managed so far, but it's still a long season. And I think our together togetherness will get us through the season um, in a successful manner.
0: Absolutely. I think... The, the work ethic and the drive and the, the way you're talking about the embodiment of what everyone is doing at Leicester City will stand you in great stead going forward. And I think that's a fascinating point of view that you made, you know, from especially the players that are playing more to make sure everyone's part of it, because it is very easy to kind of get focused and to get maybe drawn to just playing every week. But yeah. as you rightly mentioned, you know, that teamwork and that team ethic and that team bonding, it's so vitally important to succeeding. And we've talked a little bit about training in Leicester and what you do in the day-to-day basis, but let's talk a little bit about your individual training focus. Um, outside of team, organised sessions, is there anything you do on your own um, that you like to do? Anything that you've implemented to try and get better at a certain aspect of your game? And how would how has that impacted your performance?
1: Um, I think there's a few areas that I constantly work on, and that's my on-pitch performance in terms of uh technical skills um suited for my position Um, we sit down with one of the coaches usually kind of your unit coach at the beginning of season and come up with a plan things you want to work on things you're really good at but you want to make it kind of your superpower so just to come up with a plan um, that will kind of guide you through the whole season where this is what we're going to work on throughout the season, in your individual sessions, in your extra sessions, after training or on an additional day, say. Um, but for me also, it's watching the games back. That is crucial. Um, you're only going to improve if you're brutally honest with yourself. And you can only do that if you watch the game back, watch your performance back. And this is where it's important that you don't look at your your good passes, your your good actions. You need know, to actually be brutally honest and say, OK, I had a shit out there. But then obviously don't dwell on it figure out how next time if you're in that same situation, how can I solve that? Um, obviously we have team analysis, but for me it's crucial to watch my own performance and see where I can be better. Um, just from an injury prevention standpoint, I, I often um, do balance work for my ankles, my knees, just to stay on top of that. Um, I've been very fortunate with kind of knee injuries. I I'm, I'm, yeah, haven't had one so far, knock with but, um, or touch with. But um, that's just something I've implemented. So once a week, I just do that, stay on top of things and then just strengthen my hamstrings just because I've had major hamstring injuries. So that's going to be part of my schedule for the rest of my career. And that's just the way it is. But it's an extra 10 minutes before training that I activate my hamstrings and that gets me through the session, the seasons and hopefully my career.
0: It's fascinating to hear, especially the self-analytical point of view, you know, because I've never heard that from anyone in any podcast or any interview, I've never heard someone talk about sitting down and analyzing being brutally honest with their own performance and look for the bad aspects, you know, to go out and improve that that's absolutely fascinating stuff. But you've talked about the hamstrings and the stretching and the work that you do, you know, for injury prevention, you mentioned earlier recovery, Um, how vitally important is it for a professional footballer, not only just to be aware of where they are weak, i.e. you know, you mentioned your hamstrings and what you do for injury prevention, but how vitally important is it to be aware and to work on those aspects to improve, to prevent, and to deal with, like knocks and niggles throughout a long, hard season?
1: I think often what happens, especially with younger players, and I don't think you can blame any player, because I've been there as well, but you, you potentially have an injury and then you go through a rehab progress where or process where everything's kind of written down to you what you have to do. And then you get back onto the pitch and you you get back into team sessions and you're back into games and now now you're competing again. And that's when people stop, you're back on the pitch, you're back competing, you're back playing. This is where then the rehab, so to speak, stops. But for me personally, that's what I've had to kind of learn, and it's creating a habit. Is I did all these exercises to be strong again, to get back onto the pitch. Why would I stop right now? Just because I'm back playing doesn't mean my hamstrings stay, stay strong. I have to constantly work on them for them to stay strong. And that's not just hamstrings. That's just my example, but any injury. um So I think it's throughout my career, and obviously with it, it comes with age, that. It's not a start and a finish with an injury. It's constantly. And that's with any aspect, I think, within being a professional footballer, it's your mental work. It's not you, you work, on, work on something and it's done. There's never a, a finish line kind of with that stuff. There's always something to work on. So I, I've got a mental coach I work with. Just because I've worked with him now doesn't mean I'll have that kind of mental skill in, say, four months. I'm constantly working on something, Um, but that's the beauty of the game. There's never a finish line. There's always something to to work on. Um, It sounds quite geeky, but it it excites me to think about that, that there's always something you can do to get better, to get stronger, to improve your game. Um, And I think that's gonna prolong my career, hopefully, that I make sure I stay on top of things and I make sure I, I push and take care of myself, my body and my mind um but again that's something i've learned over the years so um hopefully younger players can learn that as well and learn that quicker than i had to or i did
0: absolutely and what you've mentioned you know you've you've mentioned that you've learned it over the years you're hoping that younger players pick pick up on this and this was a question i hadn't really planned on asking but if you could go back in time and give a younger version of yourself a piece of advice what piece of advice would you give a sophie hired that was getting on a plane to go to america beginning that footballing journey.
1: I think the biggest thing, and this is away from performance, but that for me is enjoy the ride. Because I think often we get caught up into high performance. We want to win, we want to compete, we want to be the best. And we forget about enjoying the moment. We forget about enjoying what we're doing. In the end, say five, five years down the line, I don't know, 10 years down the line, probably not, but I'll be done with my career, my playing career, and then I'll not regret that I didn't enjoy that moment, but I'll I'll look back and be like, ah, oh, I wish I'd enjoyed that moment more. Um so that's something if I if I could start again, I'd make sure and I I'll use it again, but I fully embrace every single moment of kind of my career, the different stages, the different challenges, more so than just looking for that end goal, looking towards being the best.
0: I think what's really important and from speaking to various footballers from various leagues, it's something I've noticed not a lot of players ever wouldn't say, I would say find the time being the correct way to word this, find the time to reflect because every season is a long, hard season. There's multiple competitions. The season finishes, you go away on holiday. You try to keep in some bit of shape. So you're not struggling in preseason and then it begins again. And there's that maybe there's so many good things that happen in a season. But because of the season being so long and you get the game out of the way, maybe it's an away game. You know, you've just flown back and then all of a Mm -hmm. sudden you're getting ready for the next game. And there's maybe that time of reflection doesn't really happen. And I I love where your mind is at, where you're like enjoying the ride because you blink and it's gone. You know, you've been you've been a professional footballer for so long now, but you're still relatively Young in your career, that there's still five to ten years still to go, and there's so much more in front of you. And I think that's a really cool experience, you know, for you to have. And what I want to touch on is you mentioned five, ten years down the line. What are your long-term goals and aspirations?
1: Um, it's not like I've set a date when I kind of want to stop playing. Definitely not. I want to keep playing as long as. I can physically and mentally because everyone always talks about the physical strain. Nobody ever, ever mentions um, the mental strain. Football a, it's a tough business, and um, I think often players and you don't even realize that often players retire because I can't take it mentally anymore. Um, but my long-term plans, um, as I mentioned, want to play as long as I can at the highest level that I can. I feel like the time when when it is time to to call it a day to to retire, it will just feel right. Um, so I haven't given myself an age, um, a number of seasons or a date, not at all. Um, but I want to be very successful with club, um, compete compete in the WSL um, with every season, push for a higher spot. Um, I think we just got promoted. Um, so I don't think we're going for the title this year but it's going to be exciting over the next couple of years to keep pushing and keep pushing and potentially win some silverware um, with the national team. I want to continue to be a regular in the squad and and work my way into um, a regular starter. Um, And then our objective is to, I say our, my objective is to, to qualify for a next major tournament, hopefully the World Cup in 2023 but that's still a long, long time away and and many, many games away. But those are like the three big things for me personally. Um, But then the biggest thing is enjoying it while I'm doing doing it.
0: it's it's awesome you know when you see that you can see the passion when you're talking about about those goals and those aspirations in the future and i think it's brilliant it's brilliant to see that and it's also i think so vitally important to have those goals and aspirations not just to kind of oh it's just another game here we go but it's that desire to progress and that's what i noticed there when you said push yourself higher you know you want to get a starting spot at international level you want to um, improve every year in the wsl etc there's a constant drive there to progress and to improve and that's only going to do brilliant things for you going forward and i've really enjoyed this conversation sophie and there's a part i want to turn this to and i've titled it behind the scenes Um, so it's more to get a little bit of insight into the stuff that goes on with the professional footballer behind the scenes, so to speak. So not overly crazy with the title there, but that, that's what this section (laughs) is. Um, we've described the typical day in your life, but what I've, but what I want to know is give me a typical day in the life before a match. So if you're playing on a Saturday, tell me what Friday is like, is there a light training session? Does it differ depending if you're away from home at home, what's the day before a game like?
1: So usually how we work is we've got match day and then we've got match day minus two, which is a day off for us. And then match day minus one is when it's like the, the yeah, we call it a match day minus one session, <laughs> the game prep session. Um, so what that looks like is the same starting times, um, go in, have the team meeting where the team's announced, um, where we go through um, the key points of the week that we worked on, um, our kind of game plan. Um, and then we go out onto the pitch have a short and sharp intense but not long session just to kind of get your heart rate going get your legs moving get the touches in get kind of the feistiness going um, with a little game at the end and then time to recover for for tomorrow so basically get food um, the ice bath if you want it treatment if you want it and then it's time for you to kind of go home and do what you need so for me that is, I can't immediately go home because that's a long time until nighttime <laughs> bedtime. So usually what I do is grab a coffee with teammates, um, see other friends just after training, see other friends, go for a walk. Um, nothing too intense, but just kind of, I keep taking over um, before it's then for me kind of time to go home. And that's when I switch off and it's football Saturday. So watching, watching the football games, um, catching up with family, kind of putting my feet up. And then um, having a good, good dinner before, before the game tomorrow. So basically, usually I have pasta um, before I go to bed. And then it's an early night, but not too early, because on game day I can sleep a little longer than I can on a training day. Um, so I'm probably in bed by half ten, I'd say. And then it's a good, good night to sleep before, obviously, game day the next day.
0: And then you're straight up at its game day and you're getting ready. What is a game day pre-match meal? What are you having before you play?
1: And so because kickoff, again, I work with timings and I work backwards. So because kickoff is usually at two o'clock, I wake up in the morning and I have a small bowl of porridge just to get them carbs in immediately. Um, Can't forget my coffee in the morning. I'm quite cranky if I don't have that. (laughs) But my my pre-game meal would be eggs on toast. not too special quite not bland, but quite easygoing quite what i'm just used to really um nothing too intense nothing too special it's just what i know sits well with me and gives me what i need for the game
0: what about any supplements do you take any supplements in during your diet during the week or off on game day you know your whey proteins your glutamine your bcaas anything like that
1: um so supplement wise tablet wise kind of um we've started now with vitamin D um, at club, just obviously in England, Sun doesn't train that that often. So we just started that for the for the winter months. Um, but then it's on either a double day or a hard, hard session. It's the whey protein after a session. Um, just obviously get that protein in there just for recovery reasons. Um, but that's about it. I'm not massive on su- supplements, I'm not against them at all. But I just think if I can get the nutrients that I need for a feel- food, I'll do so. Um, but the two things, uh, um, protein if I feel like I need it and then just the vitamin D from club um, I'm big on the cherry juice after um, a game or, or a gym session um, might be in my head but I think it's actually quite proven that um, it reduces soreness um, so to speak so I'm big on that but that's about it really
0: Obviously you're, you're quite big on your nutrition you know you, you know what sits well with you pre and post game and you know training days and the night before a game, the pasta and all that sort of thing Nutrition's obviously, especially in the last 20 years, it's become even, it's so much more important and there's so much more, it's highlighted a lot more, so to speak, is what I'm trying to say, but messing up my words very badly. Um, It's so vitally important now, the nutrition for an elite level athlete, you know, when you listen to some of the older players, Roy Kings and stuff, talking about going out for pints in the nineties, you know, things like that. I'm to me, I'm looking. Like, I can't believe this. This is nuts. But when I'm listening to players like yourself and you're switched on nutritionally, um, how big is that? How big a role does nutrition play? Do you believe in your, in your performance, in your energy levels and how you feel mentally and physically as well? Because everything I think is so closely knit and tied together.
1: Yeah, I think um, it definitely is a very important factor that has um, kind of got more importance with the recent kind of years. Um, I think it can just give you that edge, um, the right nutrition. Um, obviously, certain certain foods before a game or before a tough session can give you that extra energy. Certain foods after a session can give you that extra boost in recovery, say. Um but I think all that doesn't matter if your mindset is not right. Um, I think you can have the best food, the best kind of nutrition, cover everything. But if you're not switched off, switched up, like mentally, if you're not, if you don't have that battling mindset, that grinding mindset, you won't last a ninety minutes, so to speak. Um, so as much as nutrition has has gained importance, I think we need to cover that area of the game more um, within not only women's football but in general with high performance football, high high performance athletes. But yeah, it gives you an edge, um, but it's not the only thing that will make you perform well, obviously.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And another thing you mentioned there was the mindset. Whenever, Whenever things are tough, whenever things are hard, maybe you feel you've had a bad game and you're frustrated with yourself. How do you get over? Overcome. How do you overcome those obstacles? How do you get your mindset right to say, right, Bad game yesterday, i tell you I'd See, this week, this week, I'm at it. How do you overcome?
1: I think, obviously, there's different ways, but for me, it's I've been there before. So I've analysed it, how I dealt with it. Probably wasn't the right thing, so let's try something else. I'll try that. That really worked. So next time, if I get into that same situation, I've, I've played the first a poor first half. What did I do last time to get out of it? And for me, it's massive, um, that kind of preparation in terms of, I put myself in them situations and see what I can do if I do get into them situations. So then when it happens, I'm already prepared. I'm already ready what to do. Um, It's positive self-talk. It's definitely working on self-belief. I mentioned I work with a, a mental coach and it's just that constant positivity and not fake positivity, but just if I, if, if I don't believe in myself, why should anyone else do? And if I don't believe like I could perform well, definitely won't happen so i might as well tell myself i'm gonna have the best game of my life and then let's see what happens um so it's just that positivity that preparing to what to do if i do get into a situation where i just i'm not happy with my performance
0: yeah absolutely vital i think to to the life of a a professional footballer and something you alluded to earlier was recovery you know you mentioned heat packs and ice baths and all sorts of things what's your preferred method of recovery do you have one does it depend on the injury on an, on on an injury does it pre- does it depend on the type of game how you feel um talk to me about recovery because what's i've seen in starting to become more prevalent in in footballing circles is stretching after games and enforcing a proper cool down you know it was something that was very much neglected in the past talk to me about you know, post-match and recovery and everything that goes alongside that? And even post-match meal, what do you eat after, after a game?
1: Um, I think it always depends on what's accessible at the moment. Um, I'm big on a contrast bath. Um, again, is, uh, is it proven to help? Not even sure, but we go back to it in my head. So if I believe it helps me, it will, like, help me. Um, and I think you can't ever underestimate the value of a good sleep. So for me, it's massive to get get enough sleep and good quality sleep. Um, we now always talk about different recovery methods, different, say, devices. Um, but the crucial things are just, you mentioned nutrition, but nutrition, sleep. Um, I think, again, we go back to it, mindset, um, just a healthy mind. So for me, to answer your question, it's a contrast path, um, switching between hot and cold, just gets me going. It's in my head maybe, but I feel like i recover best under that. Um, Nutrition wise, it's just a balanced meal. There's nothing special that I have after every game, Um, but it's just getting the protein and getting the carbon. For me, after a game, it's not as important to get certain nutrients in terms of like your greens in. That's not the most important thing at that that moment, but obviously afterwards throughout the day, just a balanced meal again. Um, I'm not someone that has to have the same thing every single time after a game, but it's just making sure I cover them food groups, um, and then the biggest thing is sleep. Go home and have a good night's sleep, and don't go out or don't stay on the phone forever. Um, reduce your screen time for me is massive. Um, I'm not angel; don't get me wrong. I'm on my phone quite a bit, but when it's when I talk about recovery, that's the ideal scenario. I'm not on my phone. Um, I'm just yeah, have a relaxed kind of evening, and then. Get
0: my sleep in. Some vital, vital important pieces of advice there for any any young player, young person listening to this this interview. There's some vital young pieces of advice there from Sophie about recovery and you're right you're right in everything that you've said and i love it i love the advice that that you're that you're giving out quality advice for any any of our listeners and i want to switch gears a little bit just for another couple of questions then we'll move into starting to wrap it up but um switching gears to stepping up the first team level um what was the biggest difference between sort of the youth and senior football
1: um i think for me it was the pace of the game the ball moves quicker obviously but so do the players. So you have less space, less time. You need, need to make sure you scan more. So it's just um, you're in, in high pressure situations more often with less time, less space. I think that's the biggest, and uh, that was the biggest change. Um, I think for a lot of girls, maybe it might be the physicality, but I mentioned before that that's my style of play anyways. And um, So for me, that wasn't a big struggle. But I think that's the biggest thing that I noticed from going to a youth level to like a senior level football um was the pace of the game simply
0: incredible um you know i can't even imagine you know at your level what the pace of the game must be like you know compared to it to compare to youth level um just how quick and it's probably even the mindset as well you know you've touched a lot about the mindset and how just how quick the brain works and often you know you're probably having to be a lot more proactive rather than reactive you know at that at that elite level um Speaking of yourself personally, then what has given you the edge over other players that you've played with and things like that? So what gives you the edge of perhaps opposition teammates? How do you stay in tip top shape, keeping everything going and making sure that that you're ready to go?
1: I think it's realizing that there's always something to work on. Um, If potentially there's my technical side that I work on constantly. then there's the tactical side. That's when I watch my games back. Then there's obviously the mental side of the game. So I'm constantly working on all these things. Don't forget, obviously, the injury prevention side of it. But I constantly work on all these things to just, just stay on top of my game and uh, to be able to continuously compete at the highest level. Um, but the biggest thing for me is kind of my love for the game. I think if you don't, if you're not passionate about the game, you kind of just go through the motions. Um, And I think that's a dangerous kind of state to be in if you're just content to be there. Um, I'm I'm constantly trying to push for more and constantly trying to improve. And I think that's just maybe not giving me the edge, but that's how I've managed to perform at a high level for many years now.
0: That desire to improve, it's been evident throughout this whole conversation, progression, improvement, maintaining the level that you're at and then bettering it and being aware, obviously, of yourself and your surroundings, what you need to do to improve. its It's been so vital for you, and I can see that it's so evident throughout this conversation. But just to come on to a couple of little fun questions as we begin to wrap it up, um, who was your favourite player growing up? Who inspired you?
1: Um, for me, it was David Beckham and Stephen Gerard actually. Um, Even though I grew up in Germany, I always watched English football. Um, Obviously, my my family, in terms of uh, my uncle, aunties, grandparents, all live over in England and Scotland. So um, I always watched the Premier League. So for me, it was David Beckham and Stephen Gerrard growing up.
0: I mean, there have to be, isn't it? You know, Steven Gerrard, the the man who always stepped up in finals, and Beckham. I think was everyone was on everybody's radar. It was just that time. Definitely have to it. be in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, what football team did you support growing up?
1: Um, I think it's an easy question, but it's a difficult question for me because there was never one team that I supported. Um, I think if I answered for now, it's Liverpool. Um, I think that's partially due to my whole family being mad about Liverpool. Um, if I ever decided to support any other team, I'd probably be disowned. <laughs> and I'm not even exaggerating. Um, so for me it was always I just enjoyed watching football. Um, it didn't matter to me who won, I just wanted to watch a good game of football. But now I have to say I do support Liverpool. I'm not mad about them like my family is, but I just kind of enjoy what the club stands for but then obviously now um, and I think it's part of kind of your job I definitely support Leicester as well and I'm not just saying that because I'm a Leicester player now but this goes back to the one club mentality I want our men to do well because they're part of us and we're part of them
0: I understand the allegiance towards Leicester because I have a little affinity there myself because of Brendan Rogers and being Northern Irish and everything that goes there (laughs) you kind of just have to go go on Brendan I hope you do well, son. <laughs> you know? Definitely, uh, yeah. Uh, Favourite stadium that you've played in so far? Do you have any stadium that sticks oh, out that you just, oh, I love going here?
1: I think there's two. Actually, there's three. That's a very difficult question. Um, there's two with a special meaning, and that's the King Power and the Hamden Park, obviously. Um, I think the nicest stadium and the most overwhelming stadium was the one in Paris um, that we played In the World Cup, Um, for obviously reasons, King Power is the home ground now. Hamden Park is the national stadium for us, home ground as well. So it's always special to play at them stadiums. But I think the kind of stadium that stuck out most, just being amazing, was the PSG one.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean Hamden obviously must have a special place in your heart given the international goal that happened at Hamden Park yeah, as well.
1: Also very true.
0: <laughs> Talk me through it.
1: Um yeah, it was our send off game before we went to to France for the World Cup. We played Jamaica. Um that was our first or well, my first game at Hamden. Um we managed to get a massive crowd out and um I managed to score a goal. Um that turned a two two into a three two and we won the game. And um, that has been, or that was my first and has been my only goal so far uh, for, for Scotland. So a very, very special day moment. And obviously, therefore, Hamden has a very special place in my heart.
0: It does indeed. The last time I was at Hamden, Alan McGregor saved the David Healy penalty in a 1-1 draw Ooh. with Northern Ireland and Scotland. So that was my memory right behind the net for a brilliant view of a wonder save from Alan McGregor, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but beautiful stadium. I can only imagine what it was like, like the play there. And as we begin to to wrap this up, um, where can people connect with you online? If people want to follow your journey, see what you're up to, where are you on Twitter, on Instagram, where can people follow you?
1: Yes. I'm on both Instagram and Twitter. Um, I think Twitter is more my football only social media channel. Whereas Instagram, kind of I um, also give a little insight into my everyday life, uh, my friends, my family. Obviously not too much because I try and keep it quite professional. Um, but yeah, Instagram, Twitter, um, Facebook, look, I've got a little Sophie Howard athlete page, if that's a, even a thing. Um, but that's a three. Um, I'm not on TikTok or anything. Um, that's not a bit of me. But them three, yeah, can follow me, um, can reach out. I do my best to respond to messages. Um, Bear with me if it takes some time. But I'm quite open to yeah, responding to to yeah, DMs.
0: Brilliant. Well, I encourage everyone and every one of our listeners, give Sophie a follow, see what she's up to. See you the pieces of advice that she's given you on this podcast. It's been amazing. It's been awesome. Sophie, I want to thank you for your time. and um, time is valuable. You're a professional footballer playing club and country level. You're flying back from countries, you're jumping on podcasts, you're doing everything under the sun right now, but you're able to give us forty five minutes or so of your time. And here at the Match Fit Podcast, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Hope you've enjoyed it. It's been my absolute pleasure to chat with you this evening.
1: You are very, very welcome. It's been my pleasure too. Thank you.
0: And for the audience, for the listeners, thank you guys for listening in. I I know you've taken something from this chat. It's been awesome. It's been fantastic. MatchFit Football on Instagram and MatchFit Conditioning is the website. Check us out. And thank you once again for listening to the show.